Let's go. Holy Spirit, we thank you so much for your word. We ask uh, that you, Father, oh wait, let's do what, what Derek taught us to do in the name, three fingers together, two these two on your, on your thumb, for Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These other two are the two natures of Jesus, his full humanity and full divinity, right? And then you go on your head, Father, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Getting your body involved in prayer like they did in the early church. Bless your word. Bless the preaching of your word in our hearts. God, make us fruitful. And some of you are allergic to that. Let me just give you this word the Lord gave me this week. He said, if you're free to do it or you're free not to do it, then you're free. But if you're not free to either do it or not do it, meaning if you have to do it or you can't do it, then you're not free. And we're not just talking about the sign of the cross. We're talking about alcohol, all kinds of things, all kinds of things. If you're free to either do it or not do it, then you're really free. But if you must or can't, you ain't free. All right, Holy Spirit, here we go. I'm going to reread the little bit about the prayer and get to the verses of today. So I'm going to redo verses, reread verses 9 and 10 as well. Listen to the word of the Lord. So we've not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Verse 11, we also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy Always thanking the Father. He has enabled you or qualified you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. And this is going to be the next sermon I preach, but I'm still going to read the words. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, he did it, and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. This is the word of the Lord. Endurance and patience. Endurance is not the same thing as patience, y'all. When uh, this is, I, I've just finished, I've, I read this book called What I Think About, no, What I Talk About When I Talk About Running by a Japanese guy. I read it in like a day and a half and he's a, he's a, he used to run a, you know, a, a coffee shop by day that turned into a bar by night And he quit all that one day because while he was sitting watching a local baseball game, someone hit a a nice uh, line drive out to, you know, where, which side? I I don't remember the details. He heard the crack of the bat and the ball and instantly a thought came to him, I should write a book. So he quit. He sold his business. (laughs) You got to like it. So he sold his business because he said, I don't do half measures. (laughs) I love this guy. Sold his business and, and, and wrote a book. But he realized that all he does is sit in his room all day and smoke cigarettes. He smoked like 60 cigarettes a day. Like from the time he was awake to the time he was asleep, he was smoking. So he started running because he was trying to figure out how can I put my body in a position where it's going to help my mind actually do the thing that I've committed to do. We're interconnected parts, aren't we? You can't affect the body or the soul or the spirit without affecting the others. Right? 
right? So if, if we're gonna like commit to a lifestyle of pleasing Jesus, if we, if we exclude exercise and diet from that equation, there's something royally dumb about it. Nod your heads, just agree, even if you don't agree, just nod your head. That's right, Tim, because, because my body is just as much a stewardship as my soul and my spirit. Amen. A renewed mind, a healthy body, a healed heart, these all matter if we're going to like, enjoy the gospel and live well. So this cat realized, I'm not going to be able to live long or write anything if I'm, you know. So he started running. And first he ran a little while. Then he ran marathons, 26.2 or something like that. Then he ran an ultra marathon. He actually went back to Greece and ran the original marathon from the city of whatever it is to the city of Marathon, and, uh, which was terrible. It was a horrible idea. He was against wind the whole time, and, and it was a nightmare. That book was so amazing. One of the things he said was, he was talking about endurance and patience. And he said, um, your muscles will adjust to what you demand on, what demands you place on them through exercise. You force your body to do really hard things and your muscles will say, oh, that's what's gonna be expected of us? And they instantly start to build to, to make, it, make you capable of doing that. So if you keep pushing, they'll, they'll make their adjustments. But if you back off, and you don't do it, they'll go, oh, we're not going to do that anymore? Cool. We'll just take those calories and put them into your belly fat. No problem. At least that's what they do for me. I like that you all agreed with that instantly. It reminds me of the joke. Here, here's a joke for the kids. So, the, you know, the little girl goes up to the, the little, you know, three years old, walks up to mommy. Mommy, what's going on? Oh, that's the baby in mommy's belly. Comes over to daddy. Is that the baby in your belly? It's almost... But when it's a child, it's innocent. But when Carrie patted me on the belly throughout various pregnancies and said, your, when's your baby do? When's, when's your baby do? I would just be like, don't talk to me or touch me. But this cat, this Japanese author who became a runner, said that endurance and patience are not the same things. Endurance is what you're actually capable of. Patience has to do with the attitude. Endurance means your body is hurting, but you're still going. I had a friend who told me that Marines are taught in boot camp that when you reach 40% of what, you, when you reach what you think is the end of your capacity, I can't go on anymore, I can't run another mile, I can't lift my boot up off the ground, I can't go on, you've reached 40% of your capacity. I love that. I ran extra long yesterday and wanted to stop. And I was like saying that to myself out loud. You're at 40% capacity. I just spat everywhere. It was beautiful. But endurance and patience. Now, Paul's praying for endurance. We're going to get back to this in just a little bit. But Paul is praying. He's praying that we'd have a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we would know God better, that we would, we would discern what kind of lifestyle, what kind of daily routine pleases the Lord. And like, this becomes our thing, man. Like when you become a Christian, your goal, your goal ceases to be get rich, get ahead, have people like you, be important, be respected, have your ideal ministry, live the kind, I'm just gonna keep talking if you guys can handle it because this is like living at my house. Like you're, when you become a Christian, you become consumed you, and maybe you don't know it yet. Maybe your mind hasn't been renewed to it yet, but your spirit comes online and wants God's will. There's a thing that's blessed, the only thing that's blessed in the whole world, the only thing that's blessed in the whole world, and it's God's will. You don't ever have to pray for God to bless you. If you just get in his will and do his will, you'll be blessed. 
So Paul's praying that the spirit of wisdom and understanding will come to us, that we'll line our lives up under the flow of the Holy Spirit and be blessed, be happy, be fulfilled in him. He's not asking about outward circumstances, is he? Nothing in this text, nothing in this whole prayer has anything to do with how life's going to go for you. It has everything to do with Christ formed in you so that in the midst of the thing, you rise up and you shine. That's the whole thing. The whole thing has to do with the inner psychology of how hope and faith work. It's, it's going back to Jesus where he says, take my yoke, which is a way of thinking and living. Take my way of thinking and living upon you. You who are what? Weary and weighed down with heavy burdens. He says, you're weary and weighed down with heavy burdens, not because of life, but because of the way you're thinking and believing. But if you'll start to think and believe like me, then though life will keep going wrong, your heart will carry a light burden and an easy yoke, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How are we tracking? So there's only one thing that's blessed. And you don't ever have to ask for it. I mean, it's fine to ask for it. I'm just, I'm half kidding about that. But it's true. And, and, and think about this. Like Prover- the, the book of Proverbs is just so full of, full of stuff like this. It says, if you live like this, it's going to hurt. I sent a friend a text, or a little message the other day that said, you need new friends. Because a compan- you, he who walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools suffers harm. If you want to grow in this thing, get, get around some people who have great peace, who are very kind and very happy and easygoing. And they're not anxious. They don't, you don't get that way by accident. You know? When I was younger, I used, to, I used to want to get around people who had like fire in their belly and were like wanting to kick butt and get things done. I'm not as interested in that anymore. I'm interested in people who've been through some stuff. And they feel young at heart. Richard Showalter kept telling me over and over that one of these days he was going to tell me his story. And he didn't. He never did. Yeah, that's right. He will. Yeah, one of the last things he said to me because I was disagreeing with him about something. I said, I just have submitted to this thing and I just don't think you gave me the right call. You know, I wish you'd said better advice, basically. And he said, well, you may be right, Tim. But we'll have plenty of time to post-process that later. And I thought, now, I thought, I guess we will. But one of the things about Richard that I've noticed is he's been through some stuff, man. You don't even know what he's been through. He's been through some stuff. Started a church, was squeezed out of that role, and somebody else became his pastor, and he submitted to it and followed that man's leadership. And there's a bunch of different stuff. He disappeared for a few days in Turkey, and they thought, oh, he's going to get his head cut off had a heart attack. That, and, and honestly, heart attack and that kind of stuff's not hard to deal with. What's hard to deal with is relational conflict. Don't take that to the bank. You're allowed to have, you know, you're allowed to be scared of a heart attack. That's fine for a little bit, you know. But Jesus is with us. But here's, here's a conversation I heard the two Brian's, that Brian and that Brian, the Brian with an I and the Brian with a Y. One day sitting there talking about how in the mornings they like to seek Jesus when they're thinking straight for how, what to do with the day, what to work on, what to do. And when they do that, they both notice it works better. There's more peace, there's more rest, there's more productivity. And when they don't, when they just get back to, get to the work because the work's calling and being noisy, then things just don't work as well. 
And Richard walks up and overhears this conversation and says, I can attest, I affirm what you guys are saying. You guys remember this? He says, uh, I can affirm what you guys are saying. Having done that every single day for 35 years, I can tell you that's the best way to live. I'm not, not I'm holding up a standard. Because, <laughs> yeah, how we're doing is a byproduct of how we're believing. And how we're believing is often a byproduct of the habits and the rituals and the routines we've built in our daily lives. I love revival, and I love revival services, and I love preaching. Preaching matters, but preaching matters less than your daily routine. Revival services matter less than what you do with what you encounter. I got friends, they get wet in the spirit, you know what I mean? They get drenched in God over and over and over. I got another friend, had one encounter, changed his life permanently, because when he went home from the encounter, he changed his daily routine from then on. He got free one time. And it changed the way he thought from then on. What God said, it became a permanent thing that what is God saying and who, who is God today? And that, that, that messes with me. That messes with me. That, that's a person who's not going to freak out every single time something happens. They're not going to read their soul and their emotions and then grab the phone and call a friend and then talk about what's wrong and talk about what's wrong and talk about what's wrong. How many of you have noticed what I've noticed when we do that? That the more we talk about what's wrong and how we're right and how this should have happened and how this blah, 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 the, the weaker you get, Amen. the sicker you get, the more toxic you get. Yes. It don't even matter that you're right. Being right, to quote Bob Acoff, ain't all it's cracked up to be. So what I'm talking about in this prayer, Paul's asking that we'll understand how to walk in the path of Jesus. And, and, and he's asking for strength. Let's just read it again one more time. I pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power. Man, do you know the difference in your life between a self-powered life and a Holy Spirit-powered life? If you look in your Bible, it's Martha versus Mary. Martha has a self-powered life. And as a result, she's mad at Jesus and mad at Mary. And, and I tell you, there's, there's folk that are like, the church needs both Marthas and Marys. The church needs a balance of Marthas and Marys. We can't all just be p- prayer people. I guarantee you, I promise you, that's a Martha trying to justify her lifestyle. And she doesn't trust God. We all have a little Martha in us that says, I got to help God. I got to do it. It all depends on me. The other day I was, okay, can I say this without losing my reward? The other, way I was doing, the other day I was doing something that I thought was to seek Jesus and get to know him better. And, and God said to me, hey, you know why you're doing this? And I said, uh, to get to know you better. And he said, yeah, kind of. You're doing this to save the church, Tim. Because you think if you do this, then you'll get on fire. And then if you get on fire, it'll help others get on fire. And then we'll all get on fire and it'll be fixed. Because you think it depends on you. And I was like, oh. You can't argue, like, with God. You know, people do argue, but the Bible says it's foolishness to argue with God. The Bible actually says that, that it's foolishness to argue with God. It's in Isaiah. It says, what kind of foolish person would, would argue with the potter? The, when, how foolish would it be for the clay to argue with the potter? 
But we do it all the time, and we legitimize it. We bring our human, normal American psychology into our faith and give ourselves permission to sit down and complain against the Lord. When what we need is speaking the truth in love, growing up into Christ. We need to take his yoke on us. All right, his strength. His strength. When does his strength come, guys? It's Isaiah 40. They that what? Will renew their strength. They that what? They that what? Wait upon the Lord. What does that mean? It means seeking God persistently. Those that hope in God, those that steward their heart into the place of the presence, those that cry out to the Lord, those that say, I'm going to become a Martha. I'm oh, sorry, Martha. I'm going to become a Mary. Become a Mary and watch your peace rise. Get into the secret place. Forget about all that's being accomplished. Forget about what's wrong. Forget about the outward circumstances. There it goes again. The outward circumstances and get in the presence of God. Hear a word from the Lord. See a vision of the gospel. This, this story, we, we sing and we pray from a story we're telling ourselves about all that's gone wrong. And we don't admit it, but there's this story we're living in in our mental landscape, and it's not the truth. And it's all that's gone wrong, and it's all that's, it's this, this little myopic vision where self is so big on the throne. And it's our greatest need to, 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 to throw our lives away. Fling our lives, our very lives away as though they're worthless and say, I exist for one thing, it's to know you. I exist for one thing, it's to find you in the secret place and to be found in you. It doesn't matter to me anymore if I'm dying today or if I'm rising today. I just want Jesus. And my, like Paul says, my life matters nothing to me except for one thing that I might just testify to the grace of God. And guys, that place is the only free place. If you're still focused on fixing and saving and changing people, even the world itself, ministry itself, intercession itself, your own children can become an idol that ruin your heart. Tim Keller told a story about two moms in his church. Both had wayward children One had an awesome husband. One had a terrible husband. The mom with the son who was wayward, who had an awesome husband, refused to forgive the husband. Blamed the husband for the wayward child. The mom with the pretty shoddy husband forgave her husband for his influence on the wayward child. And what was revealed in that? Like, let's dig deep here. Don't, don't, we think on the surface. We think on the surface. The woman with the better husband who couldn't forgive, her son was an idol. God was a means to get her will done. And her husband was in the way. What offends me reveals me. What trips me up and causes me to lose my patience in the journey and my endurance in the path of rejoicing in Jesus exposes me. And it's the greatest opportunity to get an upgrade in our faith that there ever was. It's the, it's the perfect time. It's the, it's the point of the trial. 
The point of the hard thing that God allows you to walk through is for you to get in touch with him even more deeply and to have parts of you that need to get shaved off, shaved off so that you can go from strength to strength until you arrive home looking much more like Jesus than when you started. So the difference between endurance and patience, endurance is what you can bear and it can be strengthened over time. It can grow over time, but patience is the attitude with which you bear it. I gotta find these Greek words real quick. How are we doing today, by the way? Are you serious right now with the Wi-Fi not working? I guess I'm not supposed to read that. Oh, here it is. Took a picture of my whiteboard. The Greek word for endurance is hupomone, and it means steadfast adherence to a course of action in spite of difficulties. It means the capacity to bear up under difficult circumstances. It's, just, it's, it's used throughout the scripture to describe someone who is unswerved from their deliberate purpose and loyal to their faith and piety, even in the face of the greatest trials and sufferings. That's endurance. It's you don't stop. Right? You don't quit. But here's the other word, patience, makrathumia. Patience is emotional quietness in the face of unfavorable circumstances. Makrathumia is emotional calm in the face of provocation, troubling circumstances. Makrathumia is shown in not complaining when you are provoked. When, when you're troubled. So here's the, here's the deal. Endurance is what you can bear. It's like your actual, it's, it's what your body could bear, so to speak, if we were using the metaphor of running. Patience is what your little heart is willing to suffer for what path you've chosen. Because impatience is demonstra- it, it, it erupts in anger. I can't take anymore. What are you saying? It isn't right what's happening to me and, and I refuse and I refuse to submit to this any longer. So it requires great patience, which is the willingness to endure the suffering. P- patience is the willingness to say this is worth it. There's a, there's, a little, there's a little phrase that I use in my journey. God, you're worth it. God, you're worth it will accelerate your health. God, what they did was wrong to me, it's drinking poison every time. God, you're worth it. Like the, the, I saw that, the airplane. God, you're worth it, will accelerate. What, like, what, does it matter? The circumstances, are the circumstances the issue? Or is Christ being formed in you the issue? Developing the heart Developing the heart attitudes and the mindsets to be able to access who he is and walk in it no matter what. Is that your goal? Or is having a good day your goal? Right? Like, and even, even our dream of how we think we're going to serve him with our one life has to be surrendered. It will snare you up. It will snare you. Having, getting the last word. Things going well. I've seen people lose children 
who in the midst of the grieving process, things got carnal. I, I met a friend on the, on the, I was running the other day and my friend Tom Borowski was running. Both of us looked like we were working a little harder than the Lord intended. God bless us both. Uh, <laughs> he's such a hoss, man. I just see him. I just, I see him. He's so faithful. And, and we're running and I don't know, if you're running and you stop, you're going to lose, you're going to lose your, 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 <laughs> It takes a lot to get a runner to stop. They'll be like risk getting hit in traffic to not break their flow. You know what I'm talking about? So he stopped for me, which is awesome. And, and he was talking to me about some stuff. And then out of nowhere, he says to me, you know, Tim, grieving, when we grieve, sometimes we forget about the spiritual warfare aspect of grieving. And we put our weapons down, we put our armor off, and we give ourselves permission to lament in a way that's not healthy and for longer than the Lord intends not recognizing that, that there's a Holy Spirit-led way to grieve. There's, let's mark time. Name it, own it, weep, say what it is, but let's not let what was lost become an idol that gives our, then give ourselves permission to not live the rest of our lives. There's a way to move in, into, into grieving that becomes a form of bittersweet ache with gratitude for what is lost. And there's an unspoken thing. It's like we're all in the same room and no one's talking about it. And so sometimes we got to just talk about it. Sometimes we got to narrate it a certain way. Instead of everyone shuts down because of the grief. So when families lose a child, you, there's a lot of divorces that happen from that. And not just that, like we have, we have, when we're going through grief, we've got to be diligent to keep pressing in and seeking Jesus. Did you know that when Jesus took a sabbatical, his sabbatical, like did not it, it, what it wasn't was him just letting all the everything off and just chill. His sabbatical was staying up all night, not sleeping, seeking the Father. Do, do you hear me? He often went out to get away from people to lonely places to pray, because that was him getting Sabbath because he almost always worked on the Sabbath. So here's where I, I got to finish. When I went out to IHOP, KC IHOP, a few years ago, I had such a broken heart, and I didn't know how to heal, and I didn't know what to do, and I didn't know what to think. I didn't know what to pray. I didn't know how I should conduct myself because I knew I had a broken heart. I also knew I had a calling, and I knew I couldn't fulfill my calling very well with a broken heart, right? If you have broken legs, can you run? If you have a broken heart, how can you counsel and shepherd and preach? It's all, obviously, there's a we're all, in some sense, broken healers, and we're all going to say amen to that. You know what I mean by that, right? We're all in the process. But there becomes, there's a level of brokenness that makes it non-functional because you're literally giving away your own deception, your own hopelessness, your own despair, right? And so I was like, Jesus, what do I do? And he, he didn't say anything I expected him to say. He said, Philippians 3. 
press on, I forget what's behind, and I press on to take hold of Jesus. It's about knowing Jesus. Aggressively press the gas pedal to getting in my presence, knowing Jesus, studying Jesus, surrendering to Jesus, rejoicing in Jesus, framing the situation you're going through in light of, like Philippians says, what has happened here has actually served to, to promote the gospel. And what do I care if death is at work in me? What does he say in Philippians? He says, Listen, I want one thing. I want to know Jesus. And I know suffering is essential in that process because I have, to, I have to join with him and share in his suffering. So as I keep saying my yes to Jesus, some days I'm going to die. Some days I'll be rejected, misunderstood. Some days I'll fall down. Some days it'll feel like my life is over. And then as I just keep saying my yes, I didn't kill myself. I didn't, I didn't choose this, this hard situation. I walked into it just by saying my yes. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. It was the path for Jesus. It's the path for the disciple of Jesus. You take up your cross daily and you follow him. Meaning, you take up your willingness to endure suffering as you walk with him daily. To be misunderstood, to be rejected, all that stuff. And if you, if you don't, if you don't, if you're unwilling to do that, then your unwillingness to do that constitutes you holding on to your life and the holding on to your life is what's really going to hurt. That's what's really going to cause trouble. Because you can't. You can't serve something else and God at the same time. You can't serve self and Jesus at the same time. So what he said to me was, you have to forget what's behind. You have to press on toward what's ahead. You have to lay hard. You have to, lay, you have to actually press in, dig in, and seek Jesus to know him, to understand him, to explore his mysteries, to live in this, it's an intense word because it's not the word I thought I should hear. Or we could do it a different way. We could sit in counseling and talk about what's wrong and what hurt and what we didn't like and how maybe our parents are at fault endlessly for the next 25 years. We'll gain a, much, we'll get, we'll gain a lot of understanding. We'll gain a lot of psychological insight and we won't be free. And you know I'm pro-counseling and pro-psychology. But I'm also pro the Holy Spirit being the one that helps us steward that information in such a way that we're actually moving forward with him. Amen. It's about hoping in the Lord and renewing our strength, guys. It's, it's, the perp- it's the reason the Holy Spirit redirected Derek to choose the text with the woman with the flow of blood who pressed through the crowd and laid hold of Jesus because Jesus was her answer. And she'd already exhausted herself trying to find an answer outside of Jesus. I feel like it's long enough and it's like 100 degrees in here. Joyously giving thanks to the Father. Joyously giving thanks to the Father. Strengthened with his power. You know, complaining and grumbling is the praise and worship of hell. The atmosphere changes when we actually are grateful. The atmosphere changes when we're not grateful. Some of us need to slap our hand over our mouth in a privacy of our own house. And some of our spouses need to tell us when to shut up. What you're saying isn't going to help anything. You may be right, but what good is it to be right and bitter? Like, we, we, we're so presumptuous. We, we see, we, we, oh, America. We've turned the church into like little businesses that cast vision and, and they presumptuously, they pres- we presume to know our purpose. We presume to know our purpose. 
And every church has their own little purpose statement and mission statement and their programs that are designed to achieve their purpose in the world. What do you know about your purpose? You don't know your purpose. That's way above your pay grade. That's what, do, do honeybees know they're, invi- they're, they're helping the whole ecosystem? Do honeybees know they're pollinating the fruit and the trees? Do honeybees know they're feeding the animals and, and, like, and, and the humans? Do honeybees understand anything of that? Do they know anything about pollen? Do they know pollen exists other than it's the stuff that just keeps getting on their legs? It's an annoyance. The thing that is making their biggest impact in the world is an annoyance to them and they don't understand it. They just know they can't seem to get rid of it. And they keep trying, and every time they try to get rid of it, it pollinates. What do they know? They know, two, they know very few things. They know, you know, nectar's good. I want some nectar. And they know how to dance to communicate where the nectar is. That's all they know. And they know to go home when it's, it starts getting dark. And they know that smoke is bad. And here comes Nikki Gonzalez with a big thing on her head to, like, smoke us out and steal our honey again. We'll get you one day. They know that nectar's good. They don't understand their purpose. Humans didn't understand their purpose until we started accidentally losing them, and then we were like, "Uh uh-oh. What is the purpose of your life, church? Do you understand the impact of your life that it's intended to have? You don't understand. You're not meant to understand. You're meant to go after the nectar. What is that thing that when I do it, the Spirit comes on me? Look, I don't know what that is for you. I know what it is for me. When I open my Bible and I preach to myself in my privacy of my own house, my brain goes, and I start to almost dance. And you're not there. The sermons I preach to myself are way better than the ones I preach here. And I don't know why. I do good preaching on Thursday mornings. If I could preach like that here, we'd all have more fun. Pray for me. What's that thing for you? I got another friend. His thing is when the spirit, his spirit comes on him when he grabs a guitar and sings to the Lord. Boom, the spirit comes on him. And flows through him to others. What's that thing for you? I don't know what that is. It could be hospitality. It could be writing a letter. It could be, I don't even know. But what's that thing where there's, where there's nectar? And you know that nectar's good. And you want to go after that nectar. We make a shambles of our life trying to make sure that our lives fulfill their purpose. When it's beyond our, even, even beyond our pay grade. Why can't we just play our part well? Why can't we just play our part well? I mean, this is why I love St. Seraph, Seraphim, Saint, whatever, the dude, one of the dudes that Derek was saying. I'm seriously trying to stop right now. I'm really trying hard. Acquire a spirit of peace and a thousand souls around you will be saved. Stop focusing on saving a thousand souls. Focus on acquiring a spirit of peace. Because why? If Jesus wants something done, Mary will be the one to do it. Martha's mad making sandwiches he didn't order. I'll tell you what he really wants. He wants that Baker's Choice pizza from Grotto's. <laughs> Let's go ahead and stand. That is the best pizza in the whole world, and I don't care if you disagree with me. Just wrong. I don't care about no Papa John's. I don't care about no Domino's. I don't care about no Pizza Hut. I don't care about no little sneezers. Actually, I do like Little Caesars because it's five bucks and it's actually good. So we get Little Caesars for the kids and Baker's Choice for the adults. And then 
the, and then the kids acquire a taste for it. And the next thing you know, there's like one piece left and I only had four. Come on, let's pray. Prayer team can come on up here. Holy Spirit, we thank you so much. God, we love you, and we want to love you better. Holy Spirit, our life is not about being right. You don't care about us being right. You love us and the people who hurt us and the people we hurt just as much. You ain't picking any sides. You're not interested in picking sides. You're interested in, re- in, in rejoicing over everybody and pouring your goodness out on everybody and releasing the, the image of Jesus to everybody. You're not interested in our little squabbles or agendas, and you'll be glorified best, God, when we say yes to you and get happy in you and learn to be grateful. So I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you would put strength in this people. I pray for the strength, the same strength that raised you, Jesus, from the dead. I pray for the same strength, the same power that raised you, Jesus, from the dead. Put it in this people standing before me this week. I pray for a flow of strength, a flow of endurance, a flow of revelation, a flow of understanding. That that our hearts would be lifted to gratitude, that we would choose gratitude, that we would choose trust, that we would press into you, Jesus. And that we would slap our hand over our mouths when we're saying things that are tearing us down and tearing others down. That we would lift you up. We would lift you up. James says, can, oh, can we slander our brother and then praise God? That's not right. That's not right. The same mouth should never do both. So we repent, God. We repent. We turn from our wicked ways and we say yes to your good ways. Form us in your image. God's people said,